You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 228. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a great show planned for you once again this week. In our Your Stock Our Take segment, Aaron answers a listener question on Pet Value Holdings Corp, symbol PET or PAT on the TSX, Canada's leading retailer of pet food and pet-related supplies with over 750 corporate-owned and franchise locations across the country. A pandemic star with the boom in pet ownership driving optimism, Pet value has dropped 37% in 2023. Aaron lets you know if it's an opportunity long-term or a falling knife in the near term. I will answer a listener question on ATS Corporation, symbol ATS on the TSX, an industry-leading automation solution provider servicing the life sciences, chemicals, consumer products, electronics, food, beverages, transportation, and energy industries. The company has a solid long-term track record of growth in an exciting segment and just completed an acquisition last, last week. I will let you know if it's current and forward valuations, merit and investment based on our criteria. Brett takes a look at Equinox Gold Corp, symbol EQX on the TSX, a growth-focused gold producer with seven operating mines and a clear path to increase production by advancing a pipeline of growth projects. The stock is up 21% year-to-date, but down roughly 65% since its 2020 high of just under $17. Brett lets you know if it's an opportunity or a stock to avoid. Last and certainly least, Brennan delves into Verd Agritech, symbol MPK on the TSX, which produces and sells fertilizers in Brazil and internationally. We covered Verd on the podcast as a dog back in April 2023, following a decline of over 50% in three trading days. And this week, we got a question from Rob via email, whether we believe the stock offers value at its current price. And Brennan will let you know on that. So let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Salutations. And it's last but not least. I'm kidding. I just threw that one in there. Uh, yeah, good. We're, we're, trip pardon? We're taking a trip. It's yeah. true. A research trip down to LD, to the LD Micro in LA. Um, we've been going to this event for... I don't know, eight years or something now, you know, d different iterations of it. But uh, this is the main event they have every year. It's their 16th conference. They're calling it their Sweet 16. So Brennan uh, <laughs> enjoys that somehow. Oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah, it should be good. There's, uh, you know, some companies that we currently have in coverage are down there. So we'll uh, interview management, sit down with them face to face again. Some new companies, it's just under 200 there at the event. So hopefully book into about 15 to 20 meetings. At the event, uh, it should be should be a good show, and uh, getting in front of those uh, companies will be good. Yeah, traveling yeah. with these two guys, I'm not sure if that'll be good, but you know, 
But you're not on the same plane, so. Thank God. Yes, Britain I've chartered a, a a plane myself down there, and they're on a. Uh, sure. <laughs> they're just going commercial, right? So now, cool. But you guys actually fly because you're coming out of Saskatoon, Brennan. Yep. So you're going to Calgary yep. and taking the same flight with Brett down, and then coming back because you don't have you don't have direct to LA from Saskatoon. Correct? Exactly, the beloved Calgary layover. Yep, done you've done it many How times now, right? Is Brett um, going to take even. you around the town and? No. So you're no. The no, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. But I specifically uh, asked for a seat away from him during the flight. So yeah, we we were cool. actually trying to get to Universal Studios like in LA because it's right down the road from where we are. Basically, well, not right down the road, but twenty minutes, right? But um, it closes at six o'clock, so we wanted to like get out of meetings at three and maybe go from three till nine because these guys have never been. You were just there. It's a cool place, right? And uh, but you know, it clo- I couldn't believe it closed at six o'clock. I thought they'd have something it a little closes, later. Like they won't let anybody in after six. So it actually goes longer. Are you sure? Oh, I, I can't. I can't. You remember. know, we're I gonna go it, at five, and they'll kick us out at six. Nine. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly when. Well, did you enjoy yourself though? Would you no. recommend it? Definitely no. not. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, we did. Uh, we did the Disneyland thing. We did the Universal Studios. Um, Universal Studios, I mean, it's it's different. I would say, I mean, you know, the problem with getting there after three is that that's when it's the busiest, right? Yeah. So, you know, the best thing is if you get there first thing in the morning, you can actually do a couple of rides without much of a lineup. Mm-hmm. But if you go there in the afternoon and you're not doing the express pass, you can wait in some of those lines for two to three hours. Yeah. So, should be really fun. I know, it was great. If you guys have a chance, do it. Just get the, yeah. uh, get the express. I think we'll honestly be of just course, doing meetings. But Ryan can cover that for you guys <laughs> out of his appreciation. Me- me- 15 <laughs> meetings or a Jurassic Park ride. And Brennan gets a Harry Potter wand reading. I don't know. So we'll see. I love that. <laughs> All right. All right, so yeah, we should be down there, and we'll cut, we'll report back uh, next week or the week following on uh, some of the companies on the podcast that we talked about, what was of interest to us, and who screened relatively well. Some of the management teams, and maybe some of them that stunk, some of them that were like, I wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. After you know, talking, the Aldi sometimes has nice little uh, networking events after as well. So yes, you might choose to go to that over Universal. We might, unless you just spend an extra day and just spend the whole day. It's true. I can we, only spend we so long have. with Ryan, though. So you know. Sorry. I can only spend so long. You know. We, we Ryan, can arrange so, so you uh, can spend less time if you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll do the meetings, and you guys go to yeah. Universal Studios. Eh? That's cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I get. We might as well get right to it. We got four companies at least we're talking about this week. So let's let's yep. get to it. Aaron's uh, going to start off with. Pet value. I'm interested to see what his take is on this. He's looked at it in the past. Um, it is now Canada's leading pet retail supply store, 750 corporate owned stores. Aaron's going to bring up for those watching on YouTube, his slides and go over the company. Absolutely. I know I yes. recently and got a dog and, uh, well, then you know all about pet, pet value. value. You should be the one doing this. Although, you know, the dog's been <laughs> six since day one so it's getting like cat, medically so medically prescribed me. food yeah no we I, I have looked at this several times in the past just because it is an income 
stock, it does pay a, a dividend yield relatively small at about 1.6%. Um, but it's been a dividend grower as well. So it's come across my screen many times uh, as part of our the research for our, our income stocks. Uh, but let's just walk through the, the financials here and take a look and see if this is a company that uh, we see as a potential buying opportunity. So Pet Value Holdings, uh, PET on the TSX, uh, trading at about $24.50 per share, 1.7 billion market cap, as I said, a yield of 1.6%. And this is Canada's leading realtor of pet food and pet-related supplies. As Ryan said, over 750 corporate-owned stores or franchises across the country. They've been in business for about 40 years, so long track record. Now, if we look at the company's share price performance over the last year, we can see um, some pretty big declines uh, in, in 2023. So it started uh, the 12-month period off in the uh, in the $34 range. It reached a share price of about $42 at the start of the year. But since then, pretty much straight down to about $25. And this is a, a relatively new company in the public market. So it just uh, it just started trading publicly in 2020. 22 and really a lot of volatility had a fairly good run from its ipo date in in june of 2022 up till as i said early of this year um, but since then it's just been straight down back to below its initial ipo price so of course the first thing we want to do is see well how is this company performing financially are they growing are they making money uh, certainly it's a profitable business but the financial results in the last quarter, Q2, were a little mixed. Revenue uh, performed well, up 12.5% in the quarter to $256 million. Adjusted EBITDA, lower level of growth, 3.9%, up to 50, just under $54 million. And we did see EBITDA margins decline. They were 21% in the second quarter of 2023, compared to 22.8% in the same quarter last year. And then earnings per share of 36 cents down 7.7%. So just walking through the, the management commentary, the company produced same store sales growth of 6%. Management said this was both due to higher prices as well as higher level of traffic coming into their stores. Uh, they did open seven new stores um, and ended the quarter with a network of 758 stores across the country. Now, one of the uh, one of the factors that impacted the company's bottom line results was the interest expense. So, net interest expense for the quarter was seven point two million. Uh, that is an increase of two point six million uh, compared to the same quarter last year. And of course, this was driven by higher interest rates. So, looking forward, the company has put out financial guidance for the full year of twenty twenty three. They're expecting uh, revenue growth of about 12 percent compared to the previous year. And that would be driven by same store sales growth between seven and 10% and about 40 to 50 uh, new store openings over the course of the year. Adjusted EBITDA is expected to be up just under 9% um, at the midpoint of guidance and adjusted EPS, you know, roughly flat to about 4% growth. So at the midpoint, 2.5% growth from 2022 is the expectation. Now, looking at the company's balance sheet here, they have about $658 million in debt. Um, not a lot of equity, about $34 million in equity. So that debt to equity ratio is quite high. Now, equity is really an accounting term. So it's, it's arguable how much we want to depend on this ratio to really assess the company's balance sheet. But generally speaking, you know, we, we, don't want, we generally don't want to see equity 
uh, at that low of a level. Um, but the more important metric for us is the debt EBITDA, which in this case is about 2.8 times. I think that's fairly reasonable, um, given that this is largely a brick and mortar company, which is fairly capital intensive. And it's a fairly defensive industry as well. So we should have good uh, visibility in terms of future revenue and cash flow. And then finally, valuation. So at that $24 share price and uh, the midpoint of 2023 guidance of $1.63, the company's trading at a valuation about 15 times. This is a fairly attractive valuation considering some of the positive fundamentals in the stock. So what is our take on pet value? Uh, we like that it's a strong brand. They have a leadership position in a market that we would consider to be defensive. And the low valuation, the P multiple 15 times is certainly a discount to the overall market. Uh, and you know, re relatively good valuation, considering that we do have revenue growth from pet value, and it's uh, it's a fairly stable company. Um, on the negative side, we don't we aren't really seeing much in terms of earnings growth. Now, the company has a very limited history in the as a public company, so this is something that we'll keep an eye on. But earnings growth really expected to be lackluster this year, flat to maybe up a couple percentage points. We did see pressure on the EBITDA margins. So our take right now, we think it's fairly valued at the current price. There is some uh, some things about the fundamentals that we we find attractive, but we don't see any hurry to purchase shares. We're just going to continue to monitor right now. Yeah, I, I good summary. I think it's an interesting company. If you could, you know, if if their guidance was for fifteen percent revenue growth next year and EPS of fifteen to twenty, it'd probably be a company we'd really seriously consider. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Um, it's probably not there right now. It may be a year of flat to slightly down. But if the share price stayed in the current range and potentially traded lower. And then we, you know, got indications that, you know, we're going to return to 12 to 15, 10 to 15% revenue growth and a little bit higher profit growth. It might be a situation that we'll look at, but it certainly is eye opening. And again, we've seen this on many companies. When you look at the interest expense there and how it's significantly increased for these companies and that will eat into profit growth, you know, in, in the near term. And, and if rates stay at those rates, it's going to continue. So that's something, you know, a lot of companies took on a lot of debt over um, a low interest rate period. A lot of that is floating rate debt or adjustable rate debt. And, uh, you know, they're kind of, there's not kind of, they are seeing the, uh, the impact of higher rates right now. And we're seeing that on profitability. It's something you got to monitor very closely when you're looking at these companies for sure. Yeah. And there's another company too, which I actually saw a headline. It was a Forbes article talking about Petco. Um, so I think they're Woof, W-O-O-F on the NASDAQ. And um, the same thing with them. They actually ended up coming out and saying um, that earnings or, you know, they, they came out with earnings guidance. They said they're basically, they're going to be missing it. Uh, they're talking about a lot of head count reductions um, that they're going through to try to ramp up profitability just because, again, they're also going through depressed profitability right now. Um, I don't know what the interest expense is or what their balance sheet looks like, but, uh, you know, it's just a, another kind of similar thing, you know, that uh, troubled profitability here. And then as well, you know, I know Ryan spoke about it before, but, um, you know, the amount of people that were getting dogs and cats during the pandemic um, so there's kind of a boost, you know, uh, in 2021, 2022, um, that, uh, you know, we may be coming off of a bit. I mean, people are still obviously needing to buy those, you know, pets that they've got in 2021 and 2022 food. You yeah, you would think that, to... I mean, that's what I heard. Like, like you think they have to keep, but there have sadly mm -hmm. been a number just either, 
you know, let go. Um, you know, they're walking the streets. I'm not sure what happens to those or they may be being euthanized. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, there's certainly a decline uh, in it, it, it seems like when you're looking at a company like pet value in likely ownership, and it may be people just saying, Oh my God, I didn't know a dog or a cat or whatever they, you know, what a gorilla or whatever they acquired <laughs> during, uh, the pandemic it's, it's work that I have to do this. Yeah. And now I have to go back to work too. Oh, and you know, got, they don't have the animal anymore. Yeah. I've got kind of a sad story. I mean, this was nothing to do with the pandemic, but one of my childhood friends, I won't say his name, he ended up getting a gerbil and you know, I was his best friend at the time. I wanted a gerbil so bad, but my mother, Colleen wouldn't let me get one. Thank you, Colleen. Good, good choice. And my friend's mom, she was sick of taking care of this gerbil. So she just let it out in the wilderness. And it's just like, you're not supposed to do that. Run gonna, free, you know, gerbil, run free. It probably Name only, shame, Brennan. Probably only made a, a couple hours we need of that names. day before. We need names, Brennan. I will never spit. You know, one, one other point that I'll make about uh, a pet value here that uh, that that should also be considered. I do believe that it is a defensive industry, the the pet food and supply space. One of their brands is Bosley. Yeah, that's a good point. My grandfather actually owned a Bosley store and operated a Bosley store back in the 80s. Wow. And one of the things that he mentioned was that um, you don't really make a lot of money off of the food. You make most of your money off of the accessories, right? Mm. So if we do come into a period where, um, you know, people really have to kind of tighten their belt straps and, and watch their pocketbooks more. It's yeah. conceivable that certainly there's going to be less spending on the accessories, right? Like you may have to feed your dog or your cat or your, your pet. Um, yeah. You don't necessarily have to buy like the premium brands and you don't necessarily I, have to buy all the fancy accessories either. So that's another thing to consider. I got to say, there's a lot of accessories, accessories around here for the dog. And the, and we could, we could pull back on that at some point. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be okay with <laughs> oh, I'm terrible. All right. So let's go on to the next company, ATS Corporation. ATS on the TSX trades at 44.33, $4.38 billion market cap. What do they do? Industry leading automation solutions provider with global capabilities in custom automation, repeat automation, automation products, and value added services, including pre automation, after sales services. So ATS, they service customers across the globe, essentially, in the life sciences, chemical, consumer product, electronics, food, beverage, transportation, energy, and oil and gas sectors. So this company made an acquisition on Friday. Uh, they announced that they had signed a definitive agreement to acquire Avidity Science LLC for about $195 million U.S., $265 million Canadian. Avidity is a growing designer and manufacturer of automated critical water purification systems, components, and consumables used in biomedical and life sciences applications. Uh, for the last fiscal year, Avidity generated about $81.9 million in U.S., and its compound annual growth rate over the last couple of years has been about 10.4%. Their adjusted EBITDA was 20.4%. Uh, the margin was uh, that versus the ATS's core business's margin profile right now is about the mid-teens. So this acquisition should help margins over time. The I mean, it's smaller for the business, but it's accretive to margins over time. The price tag was $195 million, representing 11.2 times Avidity's projected calendar adjusted EBITDA. 
So let's this year's EBITDA. Now let's look at the business of um, ATS specifically. Their last quarter, where were we in terms of revenue growth? That's Q1 fiscal 2024. Revenues came in up 23% to 753.6 million. Net income was 47.7 million compared to 39.4 million. So good growth there. Basic earnings per share, 50 cents up from 43. Adjusted 69 up from 57. The backlog is about just over 2 billion. That's up 30% year over year. The order backlog growth is primarily driven by higher bookings. Uh, and those bookings are coming in the transportation market, primarily EV projects, which is interesting. But order bookings, however, um, were lower year over year, about six by 6.3%. Now, valuations, trailing PE is around 41.9. Forward, 21.3. Uh, if you look two years forward, you're starting to get around the 20 times PE ratio. Uh, ATS is a good business overall with a strong long-term growth profile. Revenues have grown uh, back from 2014 when they were $683 million up to $2.7 billion over the past 12 months. Gross profit has increased smartly over that period as well. Given this growth, the company deserves a premium multiple. Currently trades at around 40 times, which is high, but forward is looking closer to the 22 range. There is a threat that growth slows significantly uh, organically in a recession or downturn. And while we, we note that backlog was up 30% year over year, bookings were down 6%, which may indicate a slowdown is coming. Following the acquisition, pro forma leverage is about 2.5 times expected adjusted EBITDA up from two times uh, at the start of this year, or the end of last year. Management's target leverage ratio is between two to three times. So they have some flexibility, but not a great deal. We do think the company is starting to push closer to its upper limit. Um, while the acquisition environment may become more attractive, there is less flexibility here without uh, an equity raise near term to add to growth. Good long-term business, and we may look closer at it on pullbacks because the long-term track record for growth has been good. Probably in this range, it trades near closely to fair value. And that's all I got on ATS. I remember writing my report on ATS, again, a monitor report for clients, just as we were highlighting the company uh, back in, I think, July of 2022. And, you know, what did I say in my report at that time? Uh, the company is looking to expand, you know, into vehicle battery manufacturing equipment, as well as, you know, pharmaceuticals equipment because of, you know, the growth as well as, you know, potential higher margin. So it is nice to see that, you know, they are continuing to uh, uh, add on the pharmaceutical side and the backlog uh, is large uh, with a lot of bookings for, you know, EV battery manufacturing and whatnot. So it, it is interesting, but, you know, like I said, in the conclusion in 2022, you know, um, given its high debt leverage and, you know, price evaluation will continue to monitor it. So, you know, again, like you said, it does demand, uh, a premium to some degree because of, you know, the business's growth, uh, over time, but you know, they're, they're up there in leverage now. Um, so I mean, yeah, we'll continue to monitor. Them. Yeah. And, and, uh, on that note of interest expense, interest expense in 2022 was about 32 million. I think I have here and, uh, 64 million in 2022. So doubled so interest expense. Big chunk out of earnings that takes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, it's just something that we have to be aware with with, uh, a company with any type of floating or adjustable rate, um, uh, debt, it, it, the, the interest right there, you can see significant, a doubling in interest in a year. Um, and you know, they've added to the debt of this company. So higher interest expense, it's not, you know, it's generating good cash flow, so it can service that. But I mean, if, if you saw rates continue to increase, or even if they, you know, stay at these levels, it's certainly eating into profitability. So when these companies quote adjusted profitability, you know, you, you've got to understand that interest is, is removed and it is a real expense. So, yeah, we got to account for that. So it's, it's something to account for in these businesses when you're valuing them. Yeah. All right, let's move on. I think Brett is looking next. What are you looking at next, Brett? Uh, it's a looking. gold company. Is it Equinox? I was going with Equinox. Equinox, either way. Uh, uh, one of the tomato, two. tomato. Someone's going to complain in the comment that I'm saying the company wrong and I know nothing. Oh, or me. One of us. Or, we yeah, got it covered. Is... <laughs> the complaints are covered. Don't worry. Yeah. You can complain about one of us. All right, though. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into it. You got some slides? Yeah, I got slides. I think somebody said that about Zbeck for us, where we weren't pronouncing the name Zbeck right, and then they ended up going bankrupt. Anyways. <laughs> Every company that we, we don't mispronounce understand. goes bankrupt. That's the trend. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just Equinox Gold. Here we go. Formed in 2017 as... Me and Ryan are still confused about the name. Equinox or Equinox Gold Core. Symbol EQX. Equinox. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, it, but it is symbol EQX on the TSX as well as the New York Exchange. It's a growth-focused gold producer with seven operating mines and a clear plan to increase production by advancing a pipeline of growth projects. The company has operating and development projects in the U.S., Mexico, Brazil, with a development project in Canada and is expecting to, to produce 590,000 ounces of gold in 2023. The stock is up 21% year-to-date, trading at 593 a share with a market cap of $1.86 billion Canadian. But that is down roughly 65% since its 2020 high of when it just hit, just tapped $17. So for the last quarter for Q2 2023 Equinox, Produced 138,000 ounces of gold, sold at 1,962 per ounce, compared to 121,000 and 1856 in Q2 2022, resulting in revenue of 271.6 million compared to 224.6 million in the previous year. Adjusted EBITDA increased to 70.9 million from 24 million. Adjusted loss per share was still 2 cents versus a loss of 16 cents. In the prior year, with the core adjustments for the adjustments for EPS being related to hedging derivatives, it's not one of those ones where it's unreasonable to use. But looking to, at the balance sheet, Equinox holds cash of $174 million, with loans and borrowings of $835 million, resulting in a net debt position of $661 million at the end of the quarter. The resulting leverage is a net debt to adjusted EBITDA of about 2.9 times, which is High leverage for a gold miner. As well, after the quarter ended, the company issued $172.5 million of convertible debt to switch its floating rate credit line into longer-term debt at a lower interest rate, at least for the time being. Of course, if floating rates drop, then their 
long term could end up being more in the long term, as well as they, they're preparing their cash as they have previously issued debt maturing on April 2024. Of course, being convertible debt, it could potentially dilute the stock in the future if it ends up trading above US $6.30. But that is a fairest way to go at this time. The 2023 guidance expects production from its seven mines of 555,000 to 625,000 ounces of gold at cash cost of 1355 to 1460 per ounce and all in sustaining costs are AISC of 1575 to 1695. For the first half of the year, Equinox was on the low end for both the cash cost and sustaining cost, but compared to other producers, Equinox's gold production costs are high. Meaning in the case of if gold holds back materially for a sustained period of time, Equinox would likely be one of the first producers to uh, needing to cut production. The company does have some production as it has hits roughly 25% of its production into 2024 with downside production at 1912 per ounce, which is roughly where gold is trading at at this time. The company does have a notable growth project, Equinox's Greenstone Mine, which is on schedule and is expected to finish construction in early 2024 with its first bore in the first half. The mine is expected to be able to produce 400,000 ounces of gold a year, which Equinox gets 60% or 240,000 ounces. The mine is estimated to have an AISC of 850 per ounce over the lifetime of the mine, which is significantly lower than its other operations, to say the least. Equinox did have a remaining spend of about $170 million to meet that construction demand, though. So... Our take, that is obviously a concern. When you couple of a volatile commodity like gold with leverage, a lower commodity price can obliterate a company and any production growth becomes meaningless fast as these companies, they end up just diluting their shares, which Equinox does have an outstanding uh, shelf issuance at this time, which they've used 25 out of that 100 million. So if they knew, do need to raise capital through shareholders, they are willing to. Also, the mines with higher production costs that is, mines like Castle Mountain have the risk of production cuts, which compounds the difficulty of paying interest in a reduced gold price environment. And you might be saying, well, gold's just going to keep going up. It's going to stay the same. We just saw last, late last year in Q3 and Q4, it was between 1600 and 1700 which is below Equinox's sustaining gold cash costs amounts for some of its operations. So you can see reasonably in recent history that gold prices can pose a risk to this company quite easily. So really, investors need to remember gold miners are already really operation leverage. Then if you're adding significant financial leverage like we are here, it compounds risk. Yes, the growth from Greenstone will lower its cost, and it's good, but the benefits from the mine won't be realized until late 2024, if not 2025, as production does need to ramp still. As well, Greenstone will have lower average costs, and it may uh, lower than its higher cost, but its average cost for its mining will still remain high, about $1,400 per ounce, which is still not on the cheap end. That's high, high, slightly higher than like a major player like Barrick, and they're in their mid-1300s. So overall, really how we see it is the risk just outweighs the reward, especially when you're looking at these commodity producers. High leverage is just a really dangerous thing to play with. So if, if in 2025, Greenstone is able to be fully operational, producing cash flows, they are able to lower their leverage, it may be worth another look, but at this time, it's just not appealing enough.
Yeah, it's an interesting look at the company. I won't even say their name because we'll get it wrong either way. Um, And noting the high costs right now from the existing operations, the new project they're bringing online at that substantially lower cost is looks like it's being priced off of that uh, because, I mean, that does add some level of interest Mm -hmm. to the company for sure. But uh, the debt levels are high. I mean, for us, we see better ways of playing if you want to invest in gold. There's uh, you know, a couple uh, drillers out there that offer good valuations, and there's another company we follow that's kind of ancillary to the segment that operates directly in it, but you know, is cash rich, has no leverage, has growth path ahead of it, trades at far lower valuations, and has more certain EPS. So those are the things that we look for. If you want to invest in gold, we certainly have a couple companies that we can gain exposure to that with less risk. And likely, you know, more upside over the long term. And and we're trying to have less downside as well. So that, that's what we'd like to do to play the sector. Uh, and the companies that we're looking at are not going to fall off a cliff if the price of uh, gold goes down to 1500 I mean, that, nobody does great in the sector if it does. But you have some companies that, you know, their cash flows are absolutely crushed. They start losing money. And if they're high debt you can get into real issues with businesses like that. And that's what we're trying to prevent. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. generally, you know, if you're looking at a cyclical company, um, we, we generally be targeting, targeting, you know, debt to EBITDA, ideally under one times, but certainly under 1.5. So with this one approaching three times, I mean, that that's, that's a leverage ratio that we would consider to be above our, the, our comfort range for a cyclical company. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was going to say, even for the one actual gold producer, which we did recommend and ended up getting clients to take profit on for, I believe, about a 50% return, including dividends, they have a cash, cash rich balance sheet, which is what we liked. They paid a nice yield. Um, so, you know, even if there is all of a sudden a downturn in the price of, of gold, you know, the company still has cash to keep the lights on, um, you know, just in case. And they're not having to pay, you know, elevated interest. Um, so, yeah, just thought I'd throw that in there, too. Yeah, no, it's a good point because uh, it, it times when a commodity, any commodity is high, things look great, but then you've got to be able to sustain when their commodities don't do this, they they do this, and yeah. like every commodity does that, and when they there is a period when it's coming down, they have to be able to uh, operate, continue to operate without or or they're going to the market at low prices to issue equity, diluting the hell out of your existing position. It's not a good scenario over the long term. So uh, in those higher risk commodity related businesses, um, pay attention to the balance sheet. And we talked earlier in the show about other businesses, you're paying attention to the balance sheet when interest rates are rising, but uh, you can't predict when they're going to rise or come down. But if you pay attention to the balance sheet at all times in all environments and make sure it's healthy, then you know your portfolio is in a better position if you make sure the companies like, you're invested in companies that have that type of profile. And that's a great. All right, Brennan. My spot. Yeah. Yes, we're going to look at Verd Agritech NPK on the TSX. You talked about them uh, a couple times, I believe, in the past. At least one. Um, yep. You know this this stock price had surged. We looked at the valuations then uh, and ahead of the guidance. They'd come out with guidance and just not hit, as far as I recall on the business. And, you know, that's one thing we look for, for if management's going to issue guidance, we're going to give them a check mark or a plus if they hit it. If they miss it, they're going to get a negative. If you continue to miss your guidance, which this company uh, 
clearly has. I think we've seen, uh, you know, it, it becomes at some point it becomes a no fly zone for us unless there's a significant change and you've had a significant hit of that guidance over time. Yeah, we'll get into it. So um, like Ryan said, the last time that I, I covered the stock was a, as a dog in April of 2023 um, after the stock was down 50% because uh, management ended up cutting guidance. Um, and we ended up getting a question from Rob via email on whether we believe the stock offers value at its current price. So Verd Agritech LTD or NPK on the TSX uh, currently trades at a price of about $2.39 with about $126 million market cap. Uh, they're an agricultural company, which produces and sells fertilizers in Brazil and internationally uh, under uh, the K-Fort, Bax, and Super Green Sand brand names, uh, as well it holds a 100% interest in the Cerrado Verde project, uh, which is the source of potassium silicate rock, uh, and that's in Brazil. Now, um, the company is currently permitted to mine about 2.8 million tons per year and has manufacturing capacity through its plant one and plant two for a combined 3 million tons per year. And they are looking to expand this further with a new mine pit, uh, which they're uh, or they're pending permit approval right now, as well as an additional plant number three, which could provide production capacity of up to 10 million tons uh, per year. But this is just at the pre-feasibility stage. Now, um, as I said before, uh, on March 30th of 2023, uh, the company lowered its fiscal 2023 guidance from 2 million tons of fertilizer sold uh, to a range of 800,000 to 1.2 million. And this is what they stated. They say, potash trends did not meet the market's expectations after the Ukraine war. The price of potash has been on a downward trend since late 2022 with a 67% decrease over the past year and a sharp 22% decline in the first three months of 2023, leading farmers to hold back potash purchases with expectations of even lower prices in the future. So those farmers are you know, delaying their purchases as they too expect you know, potash prices to come down, uh, which is essentially... Uh, why we saw, you know, management uh, revise lower. However, uh, looking at their Q2 2023 results, uh, the company's tons sold were down to about 107,000 uh, tons with total revenue of 10.3 million, which was down 59%. Uh, EBITDA was down 80% to 2.1 million and net profit was also down substantially to 241,000. Uh, and of course, the primary reason for the decline in sales was both the decline in tons sold, which I said, you know, farmers aren't de weren't demanding as much, uh, as well as uh, the decline in price of potassium chloride. Um, and on top of this, there was also a decline in the USD, uh, which depreciated, uh, or US dollar, which depreciated by 10% against the Brazilian real. Now, looking to see, uh, you know, how the company's um, year-to-date 2023 results uh, are are looking in comparison with the 2023 guidance. Well, Verd has sold about 215 million tons so far, meaning they will need to sell over 585 million tons in the second half of the year to meet the bottom range of their targeted 800 million ton guidance. Now, on the what I have up on the screen here, you can see. Um, they generated about 21.4 million in revenue uh, year to date, meaning again, they will need to double this to about 56 million 
uh, in the second half of the year uh, to meet their target. Uh, as And if we look at profitability, um, they're about halfway there to meet their EBITDA target, uh, but their EPS target or guidance is lagging. Uh, where they just did a quarter of a penny in the first half of the year, which is still a ways off of the uh, bottom end of uh, four cents per share that they're guiding towards. Um, and just because it is showing on the slide here, uh, this is just a note. Uh, the additional you know years after 2023, or you know you can see the uh, the projected revenue here. Uh, this is including the pre feasibility study plant three. Uh, scenarios where they either do 10 million tons per year, 23 million tons per year, or 50 million tons per year. But the bottom line is it appears that the company is, you know, behind this guidance uh, that they've even revised lower. So moving on, uh, I just quickly wanted to show this here. Uh, this is from the company's MDNA uh, of the average potassium chloride spot price in US dollars. So again, we can see why the company's results have been under pressure uh, as the price for uh, potash has came down significantly. And lastly, just on the balance sheet, uh, the company has about 6.2 million in cash and equivalents with debt of about 38.4 million bearing interest at 16.4% per annum right now, which is quite high, of course. Um, if we do include, uh, or include uh, the leases that they have, the company has a Q2 2023 annualized, so I'm annualizing the most recent quarter EBITDA. They have a annualized net debt to EBITDA multiple of about four times, which again is also quite uh, elevated. Um, however, uh, the business has noted in their investor presentation that they would like to aggressively pay this down, uh, and they expect uh, to end the 2023 year with debt of about 29 million rather than the 38 million that they had on June 30th of uh, 2023. So my takeaway here is pretty simple. Verd is an interesting business with a path of growth ahead of it. It trades at 4.6 times the midpoint of its forward EBITDA guidance and at just 14 and a half times the midpoint of its EPS guidance. However, so far in 2023, it appears the business may struggle to even achieve the bottom end of its guidance. Now, I cannot blame management as it is extremely difficult to gauge the forward financials of a business when its operations are extremely reliant on a volatile commodity, which happens to have collapsed. Uh, from its highs just after the outbreak of the uh, the Ukraine war. And like I was saying, reduced farmer demand as they anticipate paying lower prices in the future. Now, the good thing is the company has shown that they can produce profits even in a bad market or a tough market. But given their elevated debt levels and high interest rate, along with the anticipation to further expand capacity with the plant three production scenario, which will cost an initial CapEx of about 53 million U.S., you know, at this at this time, it is tough to fathom how they will fund such a venture without going to the market to raise equity and and dilute current shareholders or take on more debt when they're already quite leveraged. Um, now, in August, management did indicate that the agricultural market is showing early signs of a recovery, but with tough comparable financial results due to a tumble in the price of potash, reduced demand from farmers all while having a levered balance sheet and appearing to be behind on all fronts of achieving the low end of their guidance, it is not a stock we would recommend at this time and continue to monitor. Now, maybe they will put up a, you know, a, an absolute phenomenal second half of the year, 
Uh, but, you know, right now looking at, you know, they've been reducing their guidance. Uh, now it looks like they're behind it. You know, we wouldn't cross our fingers that, uh, you know, they're, you know, there's going to be a blowout or anything in the second half of the year. Right. And like any, any of these commodity sensitive companies, whenever they put out guidance, that's always conditional on their estimate of commodity prices, average commodity prices for the year, mm-hmm. which so is I really have... just an estimate. I mean, they don't know any more than, than anybody else. And, you know, you could even make the argument that their projections can be worse because they're so psychologically biased towards, you know, wanting to see positive, positive indications. Um, but this is, I mean, this is really the, the issue. I remember answering some questions from investors on this company when, when the earnings were, were really high, the valuations were so low and the, you know, the questions from investors were centered around, well, isn't this a no brainer, right? Like, do you not just load up on this? And the answer is like, but you know, it's, you don't know what the commodity price is going to be. So it's a commodity set. I mean, no stock is ever a no brainer, particularly a commodity price sensitive stock. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, on that point where you're saying, you know, they're making assumptions. So, yeah, they for their guidance, they are using an average KCI CFR price uh, or potash, which is U.S. four hundred and five dollars. So, you know, you can see we're already below that, essentially, uh, in as of July. Um, You know, I I think that we might be slightly nudging up to that four hundred again. But, uh, you know, still, um, that is an assumption, a big assumption that uh, that they've made. Yeah, well, often, and Aaron touched on this, uh, my take would be when you have a commodity-based business, when your forecasts depend on a volatile underlying commodity, companies either don't give guidance on revenues or they give a a significant range on revenues and profitability um, Mm -hmm. because it's just so difficult to forecast that. Um, You end up, if it runs against you, the commodity price, you're over-promising and under-delivering. And then you get punished over the long term. Uh, you don't end up with you know a, a market or an analyst community or an investor community that is confident in your forecast, so they become meaningless over time. I would suggest if you want to do that, either give a range or um, just relate your guidance to production. You know, just yeah. have it all based on your production growth over time, which is something that you know you can control more than you can control the pricing of the commodity. So hopefully, you know, that would be something that this company can do and we can track that because you're always going to have the volatility. I, you know, I'm constantly doing this on these companies on the podcast, but that's the way it goes. You cannot, it's very difficult to forecast even within a range. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what I would suggest for a company or any commodity related business for that matter. Or, or else you look like a company that, I mean, you look like a hero if it goes for you, right? But the, the next year you can look like an absolute zero. And and this company, you know, has gone from 10 to two, basically, because of a, a commodity decline. And, you know, they're saying, well, we didn't think, we thought everything would go up following the war in, in yep. the Ukraine. I, you know, it, it's very uncertain. Those type of events basing your forecast or even the world forecast on something like that type of global event. It's just so difficult to do. And, uh, you know, forecasts in that respect were dead wrong. Yeah, exactly. You know, like 
it, it was almost like like we got a lot of people wanting us to look at you know Nutrien and, and a lot of these potash companies uh, following the war in Ukraine because everybody was like this is a no brainer you know potash prices are are elevated and they're here to stay well you know mm-hmm. it's not always a, a no brainer you know like one example that you know I quote a lot from the intelligent investor by Benjamin Graham and Warren Buffett is just you know, airline stocks, airline stocks were, you know, most people in the market were like, this is a no brainer air travel. This is awesome. Well, it, it air, tr- you know, air, airline stocks kind of were a little bit of a dud because of, you know, the logistics and fuel and the volatile nature of, you know, fuel prices and everything that they had to deal with. So, you know, even though something does look like a no brainer, it, it might not be. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah, and as Nutrien, for an example, um, good company, but in um, in March of 2022, in that range, it was the $130, $129 range. It's $83 today. Um, you know, they're affected by the underlying price of the commodity. And we had many clients then uh, at the start of uh, the war, announcements around that. We've got to get into those. Um, it immediately adjusted, but then, you know, over time, Boom, and the stock price is done poorly because the price hasn't gone just to the moon like everybody said thinks it will in that yeah. moment, and uh, and you end up with a poor investment. So uh, it, the underlying commodity is very volatile, very difficult to predict. That's why those companies often look cheap uh, because nobody will, you know, the market learns over time. Sophisticated investors learn over time that uh, you can't pay a premium valuation for a company that has very fluctuative earnings. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that'll end off our show this week. We will have news in upcoming shows on some uh, upcoming DIY webcasts that we'll have put out. I, I believe the tentative dates for them are November 2nd and November 9th. Uh, we're excited to get those in front of uh any, anybody who's been listening to the show, any of our clients or anybody who's just interested in, uh, you know, how we help investors build simple 15 to 25 stock portfolios. We'll talk about AI. We'll talk about electrification. We'll talk about some of the things that Warren Buffett said at his, at the Berkshire Hathaway AGM this year. Interesting things about how 12 stocks in his 58 year career helped him basically become one of the richest people or humans on the planet. So all of those things we'll talk about as well as current valuations in the market and look at some interesting stocks that we like right now as well. So that'll be coming up early November, but we'll have news on that soon. As always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Actually, first of all, smash that subscribe button, smash it. If you're watching this on YouTube, and we'll keep putting out this content. Also, if you're listening to on iTunes, uh, rate and review us. All positive reviews, except for Brennan. And uh, as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.